John chapter 14. I'm going to confess to you that we're getting into some deep waters as we spend our first Sunday of every month here in the upper room prior to us taking communion together. Um, we're getting into some heavier topics and uh, they're going to be hard to work through as I'm trying to study. I'm trying to figure out how to talk about them because they're also controversial as far as doctrine, the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of God. And I cannot not deal with certain texts without getting into some of the doctrinal hurdles that are placed. And we're going to get into that. So I, I think what... I think as last Sunday we talked about John 14, 6. Now, last, the first Sunday of last month we talked about John 14, 6. And that lended itself to, to some preaching. <laughs> uh, and um, this is going to be more instructional uh, this, week, this week and probably the first Sunday of next month because we have to deal with these heavier issues of Christ. Let us go back and remind ourselves of what we're talking about. We're in the upper room. In John 13, our Lord delivered all the bad news, the, the, the troubling stuff. I'm going away, and you're not going to see me yet <laughs> for a while. You can't go where I'm going yet. Uh, one of you is a betrayer. Um, and Peter, you, th you think you're really strong, but you're going to end up denying me three times. It's all really troubling stuff. And that's the context of where he says in the very first words of part, chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. He says that because there's already a lot of troubling things that have been placed out there that are in the minds of the disciples. So let's read from there, and we're going to pick up where we left off last month. Let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may also be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas says unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And we pick up from there. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip says unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. Jesus says unto him, Have I been so long with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? So, John 14, 6, and really the entire context is kind of building. That becomes 
the context. What is the context? The context is Christ is the mediator, the only mediator between God and man. That's it. There's only one way, it's Christ. There's only one truth, it's Christ. There's only one life, it's Christ. And there's only one way that sinners can be reconciled to God, and that's Christ, reconciled to the Father. So we're talking about the mediatorial glory of Christ and Him proclaiming what He said in the very first verse of this chapter, you need to have your trust in Me. Now, no mere man, like I've said before, could say what Christ has been saying here. Christ is not a man. Christ is not an angel. Christ is the Son of the living God. He is deity. And therefore, He can say, have faith in Me. I'm the only hope you have. And the focus then, contextually, from this point, is that Christ is the mediator. Christ is the way to the Father. And going back all the way to chapter, chapter 13 and the end there, where there were says, where, where, where they were, where he was saying, I'm going to bring you to, you're going to be able to follow me hereafter. This is all this building context. He's the mediator. And all going forward is going to be about him pouring his gifts of the Holy Spirit out, of his peace out, and things of that nature, his life out, are all going to flow from him as the mediator. So this is the central point and will continue to be the central point contextually throughout, this, this, uh, throughout our time studying the upper room discourse. So Christ continues here in verse 7. If ye had known me, ye should have known the Father also, and from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. And admittedly, now we're getting into mysterious things here. Uh, and, the, and, this, and what he says here in verse 7 is going to set the stage. And we're going to have to go through this very slowly and uh, very methodically. And I, I, hope, I hope it doesn't bear you. Uh, 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 I hope it doesn't uh, just cause you to spin tires in your mind or something like that. I, I'm going to go through this slowly. Uh, we must maintain the grounding, though, of the context as explanatory. How do we understand... If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How do we understand verse 10 where it goes on and says, the Father is in me and I am in the Father? How are we going to understand these things, that these are points of faith? We understand it contextually that from the point that He is mediator between us and God. So it's going to flow from the sixth verse throughout the rest of this discourse so, so the first part of verse 7, I'm going to try to get to, through 7, 8, and 9, and I just want to work through them methodically here. The first part of the verse is a conditional clause. We actually talked about that the first hour, about conditional clauses. Uh, about, and, and this is the exact kind of clause we were talking about. This is called, what's called a contrary to fact construction. If ye had known me, and that's a, that's a Greek pluperfect there, so had known. Um, if, ye ha, if you had known me, 
ye would have, and here it has should have, ye should have known the Father also. So this is a contrary to fact construction. So the if portion of the if-then statement is, is something that is contrary to fact. So if you had known me and you did not, then you should have or would have known the Father. So, so this zeroes in on the failure. Well, first of all, it zeroes in on the doubts of Thomas. Tom, he's, he's still addressing Thomas's doubts in verse 5. Thomas says unto him, Lord, we know not whither you go. How can we know the way? So he is speaking from a point of unbelief. And this, fa- this failure of their unbelief, or at least Thomas's unbelief, though he spoke for all of them, he says, he says, we, how can we know the way? It, it is what's being highlighted. If they had previously believed, he, Christ is saying, they would have known the fullness of his mediatorial work. They would have known his Father. They would have already done so. Um, so, Here, uh, it's something that doesn't come across in the English, but I do want to say something about the word know here. If you had known me, then, and that word is is, uh, gnosko. Uh, If you had known me, ye would have known, and that's a different word there, uh, hoida, uh, for no. They're both translated no in English. But they have some subtle effects. Now we can—it's not really brought out here. But the first part talks about the recognition. If you had recognized me, then you would have led you led you to a settled conviction regarding the Father. Uh, the expositor's Greek says this: some press the distinction between these two words. The first representing a knowledge acquired and progressive. The second knowledge perceptive and immediate. So uh, uh, that, that, that just talks about what we're talking about. If you would have recognized me, then you would have come to a settled conviction here. So we have the first part of the, of the statement. If you had known me, you should have known the Father. So the first part, if you had known me, then you have the then part of the statement where, where Christ is highlighting by this contrary to fact construction that there was something stunting them. There was something that was keeping them from having this object of their faith. And that was simple. Unbelief. He had been upbraiding them all the time. He, he, had, he had been chastising them, if you will. How is it believe? How is it that you have so little faith? When, when there has been examples of people who have had great faith regarding Christ, you think of the centurion where he marveled, I have not seen so great faith, no, not in Israel. Why? Because he saw who Christ was. He saw the authority of the Son of God. And here the disciples still have not seen it. This thing about unbelief is amazing. How is it that men can follow Christ for more than three years, day and night, hearing Him and seeing His works and seeing His miracles, and still not believe, still not know? So, I don't want you to see this 
contrary to fact construction here in the first part of this verse, as a discouragement. Christ is, if He's rebuking them, He's doing a, a very merciful job at it. Because look what He says at the end of this text. He opens a door of encouragement, of mercy. He says, from this point, henceforth, in the King James English there, and from henceforth, or from this point, ye know Him presently and have seen Him. Presently. So from this point, what what is he saying here? We are seeing, you remember the father of the demoniac, or not the demoniac, the child taken with an unclean spirit. He says, help thou, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. Here's Christ helping their unbelief. Here's Christ undertaking a work of making the Father known. He says, all right, let's talk about the past here. If you, would have, if you would have already known me, then you would have already known the Father, but you, you, but, but, but you didn't. But from this point on, you will. If you don't, this, there's an encouragement here. Because... Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Christ gives us faith. What's He doing? What's He saying here? He's saying, you have failed up this point to believe, but now it's going to be be made clear to you by me. The Father is going to be known. The Son... the, uh, the, the Father is going to be seen. Uh, remember what he said when, when, when Peter stood up and confessed that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father. If you're sitting here and you're able to make that same confession, it was given to you to make that confession. Christ by grace, is working faith in His disciples. And we should have open hands and open hearts and open minds to allow Him to do His great work of increasing our faith as well. What is happening in this hour is changing everything for them. And when it is over, they will know and they will see, is what Christ says. Such grace was not yet afforded. I think of it in John 8. 9, 19, John 8, 19, just a little a bit ago. Was not a, this was not afforded to others, but it says there, Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know, my, know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known the father also. And he gives them no such encouragement there to the unbelieving crowd, those, those who will not have Christ. He would not work faith in them. But here, the disciples, the ones that have forsaken all, they are promised from this point forward, you're going to know and you're going to see. Be encouraged, Christian. Keep hearing Christ. Keep hearing His Word. And He will work faith in you. 
So what do we clearly learn in this? Is we learn about the mediation of Christ. We need Christ in order to know, to see, to believe. We need Him. We don't just need Him for the cleansing of our sins. We need Him for the very faith. He is the truth after all. We learn that faith in Christ is the only means by which we are reconciled to the Father. His objective in the divine mission is to make the Father known to us, to those of us that are saved, to bring them into in, us into intimate fellowship, the disciples there before Him into intimate fellowship with God. We note that the perfect form of the verb to see is used here. You have... you. You, uh, from henceforth, ye know him and have seen. That's the perfect form. Uh, if you want a once and for all action there, that, that, that's what that is. From now they will know and have seen the Father. How is this so? It, it is so because despite the failure of their faith, and we've already highlighted the ability for us to stumble in our faith over and over and over with Peter. Despite Peter and Thomas's and all their failures, Christ, by His grace alone, will bring them to God. We sung that song earlier this morning, My hope is built on nothing else but Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust, trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. That's, that, that, that is what's going to get us there, is Christ. Not me being super, whatever, spiritual. Christ. I want, you to, I want you to think about just one phrase as we go on, and we'll deal with this more as we go on. Christ is enough. We don't need anything else. But, 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 but what about, no. Just Him. That should have already been clear from verse 6. And now he says in verse 7, despite their unbelief, he's enough for them to know and see God. He's enough for them to be reconciled to know and see the Father. This is a good time for us to think about how great Christ is. What's the message of Hebrews? He's better. He's better than this. He's better than that. He's better than the law. He's better than Moses. He's better than, he, he's better than the angels. He's, be, he's, he's, he's uh, uh, a better covenant. He is the minister of a better covenant based on better sacrifices. All these things. He's enough. Why? Because of what it says in Hebrews 1. He is the brightness of God's glory. The express image of His person. This is our mediator. So, verse 7 in the books. Let's see how far I can get in the next 10, 15 minutes. Verse 8. Philip says unto him, just as Thomas questioned Christ's assertion that they knew the way, Philip comes and offers trepidation about Christ being the truth. And this, these things in verse 6 are just going to keep playing out. I, by truth, I mean the means of seeing the Father. Philip says unto him, show us the Father, and that will be enough. 
That suffices us. That will be sufficient, Lord. Just show us the Father, and that's it. Now, we can argue a little bit about how blameworthy Philip is. I don't know if I'm not going to bash Philip here. Not Philip, my son, or Philip the Apostle. But I don't think there's any real value here in doing that. The expositor's Greek Testament says the manifestation which Philip craves had been made and made has been made and made continuously for some considerable time. And that's how Christ is going to answer him. Philip does receive a light rebuke in the next te- in the next text uh, in, in in verse nine. Have I been that, that's a light rebuke? Uh, so we can say with confidence at least this about verse eight: Philip had no warrant to say what he just said. He had no reason to say this. He had no reason to make the request or to believe that it was even necessary. It seems to have highlighted the unbelief of the previous conditional. Unbelief is just hard to shake. Are you all struggling with it at all? Or or am I the only one? Unbelief is just a very hard thing for us to shake. We want to walk by sight. I do. I want to see it, Lord. So so that's why I'm very careful, really, to be too blameworthy of Philip here. Because that's me. That's you. I want to see it. But we know that Philip was wrong. This unbelief thing, it just clings to us all the time. And that's why that prayer of of the Father was, Help my unbelief, Lord. It's just a hard thing to shake. It denies the declaration that from this point. So Philip, Philip says, all right, from this point you're going to, you know and, you're going to, and you have seen. And he says, wait, 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 we haven't seen nothing. What are you talking about, Lord? We've seen. So it denies the declaration of what Christ said. These apostles here are just getting very, very uh, uh, bold in their contradictions of their Lord. Philip, in essence, is claiming that the light that he has had so far wasn't enough. The atheists often say, well, Lord, you're just too hidden. What if the Lord exists at all? He's just too hidden. What we see is not enough. And here we have a follower of Christ saying it. What I've seen so far, the light that you've shown so far, just isn't enough. We need more. In the light of the miracles, in the light of the authority of His teaching, in the light of the direct revelations which included voices from heaven, He says it's not enough. He claims that it's insufficient And that claim is unwarranted. And it's just as unwarranted when we say what the Lord has given us is not enough for us to see God. The unbelievers in Mark 8 said, we want a sign from heaven. What? What do you mean you need a sign from heaven? Think again, think of the atheists. Now strike me dead. 
But that, that was the religious people. That was the people who studied the Scriptures. The people that Christ says, search the Scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life. They're the what speak of me. And they're standing here before Him and they're saying, show us a sign from heaven and that'll be enough. How many signs did He need to show them? He says, you have, you have the witness of John, you have the witness of the Father through the works, you have the, and He's going to get into some of these now here in a few verses with the very disciples. Was Philip not, Philip was, was Philip not saying that a tangible vision of the Father was alone sufficient to believe? Philip who had, you know what, I want to talk about Philip here for a second. Again, not, not, not the Philip in the back, but the Philip in our text. I, I, I want to talk about Philip here for a second. You know, Philip was one of the, was probably, well, he was one of the very first apostles. John chapter 1. There's a reason why John has highlighted, John highlights Philip. He didn't even highlight his own conversion, but he did highlight Philip's. Philip and Andrew were originally disciples of John the Baptist. They're the ones that heard John the Baptist point at Jesus and say, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Philip, in John 1, he's the one that comes and he says to Nathanael, he says, Come and see a man. Come and see him. This Jesus of Nazareth. Is this not the Christ? That was his confession. And when, and, and, and when uh, Greeks came seeking for Jesus in John 12, verse 21, Philip said, the Greeks kind of said we would see Jesus, and Philip was the one with Andrew that brought them. What follows is a discourse on what they should have already gathered based upon the sufficiency of Christ. But see what Philip says here. Despite his earlier confessions, despite all that he has seen, think about the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on the water, the, I mean, everything that he had seen. Show us the Father and that'll be enough. I'll be satisfied. Philip was acting as if the mediation of Christ was unnecessary. And Christ was just a means to an end. You know, we're always going to need Christ. There will never be a point where we won't need Christ. Never. How do I know? Okay, Hebrews 7.25. He is able to save them to the uttermost, all that come to God by Him, seeing He ever lives to make intercession for Him. We're always going to need Him to be our mediator. We're not going to cease to need Him to be our mediator. We're not going to cease to need Him again and again to bring us to God, to show us God. Never. Moses wanted to see God one day. And what did God say? Nobody can look on me and live. That was the thought of John in the very beginning of this chapter, or of this book. 
No man has seen God at any time. There's no hope there if that's where you stop. Right? That's bad news. He dwells in a light that no man can approach. What Paul would later say, unto the king eternal, invisible. No man has seen God at any time. But the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He declares Him. We're never not going to need our mediator. Never. We will sing when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We're still going to need Jesus then. Philip thought, okay, well, just show us the Father and that's enough. And how does he answer him? And I realize now that I really don't, probably don't have time to get into verse 9. So I'm just going to come to a close. Philip says, just show us the Father and, and that will be enough. And just a touch on verse 9, he said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm not going to get into verse 9. That's going to be a whole separate thing, and we're going to talk about some, some doctrine of God a little bit and some theology and, and things of that. I didn't even get into the heavy stuff today, and I apologize about that. I'm working slow. <coughs> but he's seeing Christ is all of God we need. I want to go back to just one doctrinal point about the expectancy. Second Temple Judaism saw or held a two powers ideology about God. They saw the truth that God was awesome and visible, could not be seen, but yet Abraham saw him. Daniel saw him. And they had these experiences of God. Moses saw the burning bush in the declaration, I am. And there was this expectancy, this two powers ideology, that though God in His nature is unseeable, yet we are looking for Yahweh to come. Malachi chapter 3 Verse 1 highlights this expectancy. The Lord, all capitals, L-O-R-D, all capital letters, Yahweh, Jehovah, is going to come to His temple. And they had, and 2nd Temple Judaism, before, before uh, the Jewish apostasy after Christ, 2nd Temple Judaism expected that Yahweh was coming to them. For three and a half years, Philip had been in the presence of the Lord and yet had missed Him. An original disciple 
one that had seen the miracles, seen the authority, seen the direct revelatory events. had still not yet come to the conclusion that Christ was enough. It was Philip in John 6, 7 that said, we got, we counted up $200, I don't remember, 200, and that's not enough to feed the 5,000 here, Lord. What we have is not enough. And he learned there that Christ was enough for that need. But he still hadn't grasped the lesson. He's still saying here, show us the Father and that will be enough. And he gets the rebuke. Philip, have I been so long with you? And yet you don't know me. If you've seen me, you have been reconciled to God. You have seen the Father. It's about his mediatorial work of bringing us to God. That's what that statement is. And again, grasping that will help us see the theology of it. Uh, but I'll, I want to stop there. I've, I've gone long enough. I hope, I hope these texts will help you see greater the mediatorial glory of Christ. Christ is enough. What God has done in Christ is still enough for us today. And I know the Father now. Not because I've seen Christ with my physical eyes, but I've seen him with the eyes. I've seen Christ with the eyes of faith. I have seen the Lord through him. And that's enough. And I hope it's enough for you all as well. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed. I hope, well, we won't be dismissed. We're going to take the Lord's table. But I hope you receive something from the Word of God this morning. I will go ahead and prepare the table. And if we can. Bring the babies up.